Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Albert's, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Hi guys, welcome to the latest edition of the podcast. And today's guest is well-known journalist Chris Jack. Um, before I introduce Chris, just a nice gentle reminder that if you're enjoying the podcasts and you want to see more, please hit the subscribe button. If you are enjoying any particular episode, please do me a massive favor and click the, the thumbs up. And if you want notified of any future podcasts, hit the little bell symbol and you'll be notified. Uh, and if you have any feedback about the, the podcast, please leave it in the, the comments uh, and join the chat in the community. So um, now to move on to our latest guest, Chris is a renowned journalist uh, covering sport for a fair time in Scotland. And uh, just I'd like to thank him and welcome to the podcast. How are you? No problem at all, Craig. Ne- never when I thought when we first uh, started um, doing business together, <laughs> shall we say, we would end up in a podcast studio together. It's uh, funny how the how life changes sometimes. So I've, uh, right. I've done a few things together over the years, and this is uh, just the latest one. One of the oddest. No, I think you've probably done some things that are a bit stranger than this, <laughs> have you not? The pod- podcasts worry about uh, sensible ideas over the years. I will. I have. Well, so I think we've probably known each other since 2012-13, so it's a good 10 years now. You're right, we've done a lot of things together, so, and you're 100%, if you'd have said 10 years ago, I end up having a podcast, Craig, and you'll be getting likes of Chris and folk on it. I'd have told them they're off their head. However, here we are. So, um, for those uh, that uh, don't know, about, for those watching who maybe don't know a bit about you, Chris, just want to go through life in, in chronological order. So if you can tell us, you know, where you were born, what family life was like, but school life, and then uh, into why you wanted to become a journalist and how you made that happen. Uh, born and bred in Kirkluck, um, 1989. People will say I look a lot older than that, but it's been a, a, a hard paper round over, over the years. Um, really became interested in um, okay, going into journalism probably about the third or fourth year at high school. It's that time of, you know, your teachers are saying, or what you're going to do with the rest of your of your life. I um, was good at English, obviously fascinated by by football, by sport, obviously by Rangers. Um, and it was one of the things of, well, if you're not good enough to play the game, which unfortunately I wasn't, now how else do you get involved in the game? How else do you okay, um, have, have that passion? So I thought no, going into journalism was the it was the way forward. So I left left school after fifth year. Um, decided not to have have the sixth year of you know, just messing around and uh, sitting in the common room every every so often. So I decided to uh, to go to uni after after fifth year. Um, had a couple of years at the University of the West of Scotland um, in, in Hamilton, and really from there I've just you know, lived the dream. Uh, that that gave me the that gave me the ideal okay, platform to then get into. 
into real radio, on some work experience, get into the Herald and Even Times on some work experience, um, and from that, the whole thing has just really, just really kicked off. So my work experience was. 2008, the Manchester season. Um, so I mixed, I mixed a couple of weeks because uh, obviously the Manchester final um, was actually the day before my final exam at uni. Uh, it was my law exam, so I had the whole thing planned. If I could do some studying, I was getting the bus down to Manchester. I had my ticket bought. It was all good to go. Uh, ticket then fell through. Ended up at Ibrox to watch the game and somehow passed the exam the following uh, the following day. So I, I dare say it's one of these um, you know, all, all things get turned out for the best. Because I dare say if I'd been to Manchester, I might not have even got back for the, for the exam <laughs> the next day. Who knows? Who knows how that could happen? So um, one of these things missed out on the European final, uh, but could never have imagined that not 15 years or so later I would be at Rangers' next European final, sitting in the press box uh, doing it. Aye, incredible journey, I suppose. I had a, when I was down there, I, I was not allowed to get the second day off. I think I was a sales manager in a garage in Edinburgh at the time, and the guy that was my manager, I think he'd been to Seville um, pre- you know, a couple of years before it, and they uh, wouldn't let me get a day's off. So I had my one day off, and I had to be back in the garage in Edinburgh at half past eight. And, the and I didn't make it. Did you make it? Huh? I was a bit of a shambles, <laughs> but I certainly got there. Something you said there, your, your initial... Um, introduction into journalism did you say on radio first as part of the university course um so you had to do a fortnight's work experience um so i was actually lucky i had a fortnight through a real radio um on their sports desk just doing broadcast press conferences and cutting up clips um and doing various bits in their office and then I had a fortnight in with a, a herald and evening times so really i had a had a choice at that time I want to go down the broadcast route or do I want to go down the written press route? I've decided that newspapers were the, the thing for me. Um, I think I've always been more that way inclined. Still remember like picking up the paper, it drops to the letterbox. You go down in the morning, you pick it up, you turn to the back page, you see what the stories are. Always got more of a, a thrill out of potentially being that guy that had that back page story than being the guy that you heard just after the travel report on the radio. So that doing that, doing that side of it, doing the newspaper side of it was where my passion always always lay and where I always get saw myself going down. So as good as the, the broadcast experience was, um, and again, 15 years or so later, it's coming in handy. My job with the Rangers Review now, having that broadcast experience is handy. Um, but it's really been the, it was the newspapers that was the main key driver for me at that, at that in those early years. So would this have been 2008 then you're talking about? 2008, um, that was that was the work experience. Um, and actually it was Daryl King, uh, that was a, the main key sports editor at the, at the Herald and Times at that time. So he was he was good enough, he gave us uh, the fortnight's work experience. Um, I said to him on, on the Friday, thanks for having us in, really enjoyed it. Learned, probably learned more in that fortnight on, on the desk than I did during the three years at uni. There's, there's just no, there's no substitute for actually going out and doing the job and being in that, being in that environment. Said to him, look, that was great. Do you mind if I come back in once I've got my, uh, uh, once the exams are done and once everything's cleared? And thankfully I said, I no bother. Um, so emailed him again a few weeks later on. Thankfully he remembered me, must have liked me. Managed to get back in again. Um, and then every Friday I just said, well, do you mind if I come back in on Monday? Um, and ended up doing that for about a year. Just, just so as work experience. Just basically, just kept turning up every Monday, <laughs> uh, which was good for them because they were getting a, a, a full time member of staff, not also somebody who was at a, 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 of a great standard at that time. You're obviously making mistakes, and you're not very much learning on the job. But basically, just kept turning up every Monday morning. Walked into the office with a rolling sausage and put a cup of tea down and says, "Right here we, here we go." Um, and th- thankfully, they, they never said, "Look." No, this isn't for you. Uh, it's time for you to move on. Because I've seen that there's been a number of other work experience guys. I've seen scores 
come in over over the years, and you can tell fairly early on who's who's potentially got it, who's who's not. Um, and thankfully, they, you know, the guys there, um, also Daryl, I suppose the main man, but a, a number of guys, too many to actually, to actually uh, mention, who gave you a bit of advice or took you for a coffee or took you aside and showed, showed you the ropes. Um, and then eventually, uh, they allowed you to go up and do actual press conferences. So not not to go and ask questions, just to go and see it. So you go up to the training ground and Walter comes in or then Ali comes in and players come in, Steve Davis or McGregor or Davey Weir. And you just get to sit and watch watch the press guys actually go do a do a proper press conference, um, and then eventually say, "Look, you can go and do Rangers yourself." And that then ever since that, that's kind of kicked it off. So it would have been Warburton's first season was the kind of transition from doing SPFL stuff, doing Partick Thistle, doing Motherwell, doing like Clyde and Albion Rovers, to then go and doing Rangers. And we then got that that kind of big break. I say from there, it's really just kind of kicked on. But I, I had a really good grounding of. Doing your motherballs and your thistles and Kelly's, that gave me a, a that gave me a real beat. It gave me a, a chance to actually go and speak to managers, speak to players, find out how to how to write actually writing like shorter stories is almost as difficult as writing longer ones. If somebody says, "Give us two hundred and fifty words," when you have to get the whole thing right in two hundred and fifty words, you can't mess about with it. So have, having that in ground and, and being given that responsibility to go and cover a fairly large patch and a lot of clubs, really gave me that like he's standing. Um, you know, obviously see guys from other papers, you meet guys from the SFA, the SPFL, and you start to can grow your reputation, can grow your standing in the, in the industry a wee bit. Um, as, as in that Warburton season, I really felt the time was right to kind of push on. So there was a bit of movement in the office. Somebody left, um, somebody got moved up. And uh, the Rangers job then became available, and I was the I was the ideal man for it. So going back to the, this two thousand and eight year when work experience is finished, you just every Friday said I'll see you on Monday. Last night almost went in, you know, and that went on for about a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Incredible. You basically just keep chopping the doors. Um, there's at, at that time, and certainly now, there's very few journalism jobs out certainly the newspaper side of it, it's a very, very difficult industry to get into. I think when I started uni, there was 30 of us started the course. By the end of the three years, I think there was seven of us graduated and there was one of us actually got a job in, in newspapers. And that, thankfully that one was me. So that job, the, the, the attrition rate is, is huge. It's a really difficult industry to get into. And even once you get in, it's a difficult industry to then maintain a place in because the, the competition for jobs, competition for stories is obviously huge. So it's not an easy, it's not an easy gig. Uh, and if you don't put the hard work in, if you don't miss family holidays, if you don't you know, work on extra hours, if you don't do things for free as, as I did for a long time, you might not make it. So it, it's just a case of keeping asking the questions, keep banging the doors, and eventually you, you always hope that you get your uh, you get rewards at the end of it. And I say thankfully I did. Do you think your success then in becoming a journalist, do you think out of the 30 that started this course and you were the only one to finish the course and, and then obviously those seven going to work as a, a newspaper journalist, was it just down to determination and drive then? I think a lot of it is that because I, I, I wouldn't profess to be the, the best writer in the industry. There's, there's guys that are far far better wordsmiths than me. There's, there's guys that have far better contacts than me. There's guys that have, even, even now, guys that have got a lot more experience than me. But it is just coming down to look. I'll, I'll I'll just go and do things for you. So if you needed a motherwell game done on a Wednesday night, I'll be there. If you need to go and do, I'll be in Rovers again Sunday and a Tuesday night. I'll be there. If you want something done on Christmas Day, 
I'm your man. Um, and I think that's the people, perhaps one of the things that actually annoys me about the perception of journalism a lot is this, this lazy journalism thing. It couldn't be further from the truth. There are guys who are more committed at it. There are guys who are better at it. There are guys who put more into it. But everyone who is still in the industry right now is there for a reason because there's a, a queue of guys behind you who would easily take your job if 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 the call came and, and you're out the door. There's a, a stream of guys and uh, that would then take your then take your place. So every, everybody has to earn their earn their stripes in this in this game. And the is that thing of lazy journalism does it does irk me. People don't like what I write. They don't like an opinion. They don't like my style of writing. They don't like um, how I actually go about things. That's fine. But this thing of oh yeah, you're playing at it couldn't couldn't be further from the truth. MD that has got to a certain level. They've put the man hours in, they've put in the they put in the blood, sweat, and tears over the over the years to get to that standard. Yeah, I think I think journalism and I've never been a journalist, but for those that don't know my history, back in 2012 when I started a, a protest um, movement, I, I had a lot of contact with journalists. So I got to see a lot of what they've done and, and whatever. And I think it's one of those jobs that it's not an occupation, it's just a lifestyle mm -hmm. that it, you know. I can't remember too many times where I phoned a journalist and they've no took the call, whether it's eight in the morning or nine at night. I don't think, you know, that way when you phone somebody and you get that peculiar ringtone, you think, oh God, he's on holiday. Mm -hmm. Well, they've no answered it. And you go, where are you? I'm in Turkey, I'm in Spain, I'm in America. Oh, listen, I'll get him in your back. No, what is it? And they want to know mm -hmm. and they want to do something. Um, and it is, you know, one of those lifestyle jobs rather than just an occupation is that, is that a fair assessment it's not a it's not a 95 it's not a you start your shift and as soon as you're done you close a laptop and that's you you could do nine hours if the phone goes five minutes later well you're then doing another hour you're doing our two hours you're, you're doing it until the job's done it's not that case of well you've, you've got a set hours you've got a set set way of life um i think one of the best examples is that the day that geo gets sacked we had the story first. It was on our website first. One of the best ones that I've had. I think the phone went at five past eight or so in the morning. So I'm lying in bed with the missus. Just a normal Monday morning, maybe Tuesday morning. Um, and also there had been talk over the previous couple of weeks. Gio was going to get sacked. Everybody thought this was going to happen. And then died down a wee bit. I thought, well, maybe he's going to survive. So phone goes. Manager's gone. Go and check it out. If I'd, so if I'd seen the phone and thought, it's five past eight in the morning. I'll, I'll phone it back after I've had my breakfast. I'll get up, I'll go for a shower, and then I'll phone it. I'll phone that guy back. You'd miss the story. By that time, everybody else has then got it because everybody's on the everybody's on the similar case. And if you don't answer the phone, if you don't answer your texts, if you don't go and say ask questions, and you don't go and chat doors, you're you're not going to get anywhere. So that, that's that's been one of the best stories that I've had over the last over the last wee while. As as I say, it's only it's only exclusive once, and within minutes of us having that story on the website. The record had it, Sun had it, Daily Mail had it, because everybody's also on the on the case. Everybody has their own their own contacts, everybody's got their own uh, people that are telling them things. As if I just said, ah, I'll I'll go for a shower, I'll get a rolling sausage, and then I'll and then I'll phone that guy back. I would have missed it, and we, we then wouldn't have had the benefit of that. We then couldn't have said, well, we told you first. Um, and that I think that perhaps sums up the the case of it's not a it's not ninety five. It's not a you work when there's stuff to be done. You work all the time almost, um, and that's. You're almost having to explain that to friends and family. Um, I, I started uh, seeing my new wife Lindsay uh, three years ago this month, actually, and everybody's got this 
preconceived idea of, oh, you, you get paid to watch football, it must be great. And it, and it is great. It's, it's the best job in the world. I wouldn't, I wouldn't swap it for anything. But there's a lot that goes into it. It's not just you turn up at three o'clock on a Saturday, you watch the game and you go up the road. It's, it's a lot It's a lot more than that. And if you want to do Rangers, it's a lot more than that as well. And then, I mean, you're, you've had a long career, but it's relatively short in journalistic times, mm-hmm. about 15, 14, 15 years. As a non-journalist and someone who doesn't work in the media, I can see incredible changes in the media in that time, probably even shorter than that, probably the last 10 years it's accelerated a bit. But there seems to be this passion, need by the public now of instant news. Uh, I I, I saw this as a member of the public, probably the advent of Twitter. Mm -hmm. Twitter would just have things on it before newspapers could react and now i think a lot of it and it's a sad part of journalism i don't i don't like it there seems to be people who that seems to be their job just to watch social media and react to social media rather than go and get stories but how do you see these changes as a professional in the game i think it has has changed a lot um even in the last four or five months i've moved over to the rangers review um it's a slightly different brand of journalism if you like it's a bit more in-depth a bit more considered it's not that one hit wonder, it's not that kind of wham bam, there's a story and let's move on to the next one. We, we do take time to to really get into things a bit more. We do, these uh, uh, Josh uh, Barry that I work with does a lot of tactical stuff, which is a bit different. You know, like 10 years ago, nobody would have taken tactical pieces in, in mainstream media. Um, but there's a lot more goes into a, a number of the pieces that we do to try and give people a bit more insight into how decisions were made or players' backstories or certainly in terms of new manager coming in, a lot of work went into finding out what's he like as a person, what's he like as a coach, speaking to former players, speaking to former staff, and there's a lot of there's a lot more in-depth um, stuff has gone into that over the last wee while. But as you say, there, there's the other side of it that is it's just that instant gratification. It's a, well, form, former player says that on Twitter, there's 250 words of it. And I think it's it's sad in a way that that, that has become the that's become the norm for, for some people. And I know you get a lot of feedback on social media and people say to you, oh, it's just clickbait. But the, the numbers in these things speak for themselves. If the numbers weren't there, if people weren't clicking on it, if people weren't reading it, not interested in it, then papers and desks wouldn't do it. So it's easy for people to say, no, that's that's rubbish. Why are you doing that? They're doing it because there's a market for it. It might not be, might not be the type of journalism that you want to read, but there's clearly a market for that, for that type of content because people are clicking on it. Um, and there's obviously a, a move towards um, uh, trying to get people to pay for pay for adverts on websites, and certainly our, our website is paying for subscriptions. We we believe that is the that's the model for for journalism going forward. It's people paying a monthly subscription to um, kind of read our content, to to get our breaking news, to get our insight, our analysis, to do our video stuff. So that that, that has changed has changed a lot certainly over the last ten years. Um, but I think that it's it's just like every other. It's, it's like football in general. The thing, things have to evolve. Things have to change. Nothing stays the same forever. And ultimately, the guys that are good at it and the guys that want to go with it will go with it. And the guys that are maybe a bit more old school um, will say, "No, that's that's not for me," and that and that's fine. But I think that in terms of like news, news coverage right now, if you want in-depth stuff, we're providing it for you. If you just want instant Twitter reaction, there's a market for you. And I think that that's one of the Perhaps the better thing about the Scottish press at the minute, we are providing for every type of every type of audience, no matter if you want a TikTok, if you want to 
consume your news on YouTube, if you want 3,000 word long reads on, on our website, if you want um, broadcast stuff or you just want, uh, there's, there's a whole a whole range of ways for you to consume your news. I think the, the business and the, and the various um, desks are, are evolving alongside that, alongside those key changing like public attitudes. Yeah, I think, listening to what you're saying there, um, I think there was a sag middle bit where you had mainstream media or new media, which was social media. Mm -hmm. So do, do you think what's happening now is the mainstream media are now reacting to this to fill both markets? Is that what's basically going on? I think papers are also having to evolve and news organisations are having to evolve. Um, you, you see like people want short, sharp things at, at times. So not everybody has the time to sit and read the paper front to back. Not everybody has time to sit and go on our website and read 2,000 words of my post-match analysis or a big interview that I've done or a big feature that I've done. So we try and provide it in shorter sections for you. So that's why we do we do videos, we do podcasts, we do TikTok and YouTube stuff. I think other other desks, other organisations are going to coming around towards that as well. But it's still, ultimately, it's about providing the best content possible. So no matter what format that content takes, we have to serve the audience because if we don't serve the audience, the audience will then go somewhere else. The the media market in Scotland is hugely congested. And we've had guys in our organisation before comparing us to like Southampton or to Bournemouth and say, well, they, they get that on their website and they do that and they do that. Bournemouth, with all respect to them, it's a one-city club with a, a market that's everybody's focused towards that up here. We've also got two that, two that dominate. But the actual landscape up here is so is so different to down south. We could, not not every city down south has two clubs the size of Rangers and Celtic, and then on their doorstep you've got most of the other Premiership plus all your lower league teams. It's a very different media market up here than it is down south. So you're up only only in Glasgow, or only in only in Scotland, as well as the Herald and Times, um, and also the Rangers Review as uh, part of that as well. You've got a Sun, you've got a Record, you've got a Mail, you've got the BBC, you've got Sky Sports, you've then got your broadcasters like Clyde and PLZ. There's a lot of people looking for the same stories, a lot of people looking to tap into the same kind of audience. So as much as you have to follow the pack, everyone is always looking for that latest innovation. Everyone is always looking to be slightly different. Everyone's always looking to be better because there only is a certain number of people that will um, consume Scottish football. And everybody is everybody's aiming for that. Everybody's aiming for that same market. But up, up here, it's a really, really competitive, um, and is there's a, a friendly rivalry amongst a lot of the guys. I speak to guys from other papers and guys from other organisations. I speak to them more than guys on my own desk. I can go days or weeks without speaking to guys on my own desk. Guys from other papers, you got on with. So there's that kind of competitive there because we, we all want to be first. We all want to have the geo story first. We all want to have Rangers' latest signing story first. But it's that competitive, it's that, it's that difficult. That's why when you do get a win, if you like, like the Geo one, or you maybe break a transfer story, or you get something nobody else has got, you really have to savour it because the wins, in, in that sense, are, few, are actually few and far between just because there's that many people all, all looking for the same thing, certainly when it comes to Rangers. So you're mentioning there a lot of, of um, other mainstream media bodies and, and organisations. But with the advent of new media and social media and all these easy access things, people mm -hmm. have got to suddenly present stories to the public. Um, not just Rangers and Celtic, a lot of clubs down south, even 
uh, smaller teams in Scotland have now got with fan media. Mm-hmm. Uh, now they're all delivering out in the same outlets now because no many people are buying papers. Are the fan media now becoming competition for traditional media? I think the, the fan media rise and rise has been a really interesting development over the last couple of seasons because it really came from almost from nowhere. There's always been podcasts, there's always been bloggers, there's always been people writing and speaking about everyday in Rangers terms, there's always been people doing that over the last couple of seasons. But we've, we've really seen the kind of rise of it. I think that was perhaps um, aided by by the club's stance uh, during the during the 55 season and during the Seville season, the, the club themselves made a more uh, concerted effort to bring the fan media guys on, on board to that, allowed them to have a, have a platform, allowed them access to, to matches, allowed them access to press conferences and basically gave them the kind of insight and gave them the kind of access that we were getting because as, as their access increased, a lot of the mainstream media guys um, whether it be broadcast or whether it be written press, it did it, it did go away. I did I did diminish. Um, um, the, the hours that I spent talking to, wasted hours if you like, I spent talking to guys uh, about about that strategy, knowing that it was it was made high up. Basically, there was there's very little we can do about it. Thankfully, it's it's now changed. Rangers as a as a club and as an operation are far more open to guys like myself uh, because they see guys like myself and guys at other organisations, they see them as people who want to work with the club. That's not to say we'll toe their party line, that's not to say we'll do their bidding for them, that's not to say we'll do exactly what they ask always. But there's a there's a happy medium to be struck of keeping people on side, a bit of you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And I think the club now realise that there's a there's a better way of operating with the fan media that they've given they've helped mobilise, I think, over the last few seasons. There's a way of working with them and getting the best out of people that the people that consume that that part of it. And there's a way of working with more traditional media guys like myself and the way that fans then interact with us as well. So I think the, the club have have struck a balance now, thankfully, that, that wasn't there for a long time. Um and I think during those seasons the, the club and a, a range of things actually actually suffered because of that. And that's no disrespect to the fan media guys that were doing it because they, the opportunity arose for them. They made the most of it. Like me, I got my chance and made the most of it. They saw their chance and they made the most of it. And they're then allowing their audiences um, to consume their output in, in their own ways. And it's no harm to them at all. I just think there was a better way of that balance being struck between fan media and traditional media at, at that time, where everyone could have lived in the same small ecosystem everyone could have lived and operated in, in the right way. Um, I don't think the club got that right. Um, and that's something that thankfully they uh, they realised themselves um, about 18 months or so ago now. Yeah, and obviously you, you've answered that in quite a specific way about Rangers. Um, I was thinking about just more out with Rangers. Rangers probably a wee bit of a unique um, club in that aspect that the, when David Graham came as a PR guy, he decided to shut the door in everybody's face and just have um, fan media. and. I found at that time, I thought it was quite a strange strategy. And <clears throat> a lot of fans, they, they, you know, you've got this thing that you've got to hate that journalist because he said something in 1998 about Ian Durant, or you've got to say, you know, and, and there's preconceived ideas about who you should and should not follow, which I've always found a bit bizarre. But there was this sort of battle between all the press are bad mm-hmm. and fan media is good. And I, and I just felt it was dealt with incorrectly. And at any time where I said, well, when you questioned it, oh, you were hunted down in packs. 
but how dare you suggest that fan media might not be great? And I'm like, because that guy's telling them what to write. Fan media can only work when fan media is allowed to be independent. And I think the two years without getting into specifics are probably wise enough to understand that wasn't what was happening at Rangers for a, for a fair amount of time. Um, and it becomes North Korea. And I think now if, if we've got mainstream media and fan media working almost in tandem, then you're going to get more balance and um, possibly fairer recovery. But I still think, and again, at any time you mention the word fan media and you see anything that might be perceived as as um, negative about it, you get shot down. But what I'm going to say, you know, I think it's easier for a professional journalist to write a story and print a story more independently taking a step back. Now, you've obviously mm -hmm. already made it obvious that you're a Rangers fan, but you're a professional journalist. Um, if you hated Rangers, <laughs> it would be even easier for you to write a bad story about Rangers. But, you know, when you're a fan media, um, I think it's going to be a wee bit more difficult, even, in, you know, with the perfect conditions, to write that bad story, knowing that it's far easier for them to just take your press pass off you. Mm -hmm. Whereas as a professional journalist, there's loads of professional journalists who have still carried on being sports journalists re re reporting about Rangers while being banned at Rangers. Mm -hmm. It doesn't stop you doing your job. But if you're a fan media, you rely on that connection. Um, and again, it's you keep reiterating this. That's not having a pop at the guys that are delivering fan media. That's just the reality of the situation. But the question wasn't specifically on Rangers. Mm -hmm. It was just the, the media in general, um, in clubs and football and sport in general, that if you take Rangers out for a second because of the peculiar situation we had there, is fan media in general becoming competition for mainstream media across UK in football terms? I, th I think in terms of being competition, yes, because again, we're all, f all going for the same audiences, so no matter what club it is, perhaps not even matter what, uh, what sport it is or what league we're in, there's only a set audience for each for each club. So whether it's Rangers, whether a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. It's a basketball team, but it's a rugby union team. There's only going to be a set number of people that are invested enough to consume all content round about that. So as a, the more people that are providing content on that particular club, that particular league, the better, because that then gives fans more more choices. It gives them more options. They can then they can read or they can or they can do podcasts or they, or they can do how, however they see it. But the more the more people that are covering that club also competition then then rises. If you've only got a club and it's I say like like that Bournemouth example I used, they've got the local newspaper. They may have the, a, a branch of fan media, but it's not going to be anywhere near the same that we've seen up here. Um, and yeah, it's guys that are doing video blogs. There's guys that are also have their, uh, have written blogs. And it's it's good if, if you're just a normal Joe Public punter, 
there's there's never been a better time for you to consume whatever brand of media you like. Now, whether you want video stuff, whether you want written stuff, whether you want it on TikTok, whether you want a podcast that you can listen to in the car, there's never been as many different avenues for you for you to do it actually go down. Now that also keeps guys like myself on our toes because we have to we have to keep a hold of our section of the market. We need people to to subscribe, we need people to read. But if you're, whether you're traditional media or whether you're fan media, you're doing it for a reason. You're doing it because you want to get your messages or you want to get your coverage out there. If there was no market for fan media, then there wouldn't be any. The, the fact that we've seen this rise and rise and there's, there's people you know, kind of launching things all the time, they clearly feel there's a market for it. So I think from from our from a professional perspective, it does make it difficult because I said there's, there's more competition than ever. There's more people invested in football coverage than ever before but if you're just a fan then it should be the best time ever because as I say you've got as many different avenues to uh, to go down as possible yeah and and I think I don't think the Herald will be unique in what they're trying to do with the Rangers review and and make it more fan fan specific more club specific and and is that not going to make the differentiation between fan media inverted commas Amateur, which it's not really doing. We'll go into that in a minute. Against mainstream media professional, is it is it <clears throat> becoming a wee bit more blurred and, and less obvious what is fan media and what is mainstream media nowadays? Again, I think if, if we do do Rangers specifically, because that's the area that most I can invest in, and area that I know most, I think there's there are, there are clubs who who still try to have that set set line of. This, this is the media organisations that we want to deal with, and that's your traditional ones, that's, that's your newspapers, that's your broadcasters. And then over here, they say, well, we might see this rise, we might see uh, podcasts, we might see bloggers, we might see YouTube guys, but we don't really want to deal with them right now. There will come a point where clubs may have to open the doors to these guys. Um, I say Rangers have been have been more open than, than others. Um, there's, there's some clubs who don't let the, the fan media guys that we've got, there's some clubs that don't let them in, that don't let them into, into the games or the press conferences, and that's fine. Every club has their own has own media strategy. Um, as the, the Rangers one has has evolved, and I think it's evolved quicker than maybe even a lot of the guys in the media expected. Because uh, uh, during, the, during the era that you mentioned under the uh, previous uh, comms chief... Uh, you almost, don't want to see his name. Un, 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 his name's David Graham, mate. Un, Are you scared him? Un, un, under the David Graham regime, um, it went from not to sixty fairly quickly because we, we knew that there was these obviously podcasts and, and there was blogs. There was guys who were doing a lot of good Rangers content, and the content is good. And in no way am I trying to knock down what those guys are doing because they do serve their audience and they do serve their audience very, very well. But Rangers went from nothing to quite a lot very, very quickly, um, and I think from the more mainstream guys pissed a lot of guys off to, to be honest because they, they saw their access being cut they saw these guys well who are they now these guys are not professional they saw these guys coming in and doing doing the pressers and doing the games and doing things that we were not allowed to do anymore and I think it created an, an animosity there that didn't need to be there mm-hmm. um, I think the clubs if clubs are going to learn anything from the way that Rangers handled it, it should be that. So whether you're a Premiership club or a Championship club, whether you're I say, a rugby team, a basketball team, ice hockey, no matter what it is, learn from the Rangers' mistake and don't just say, well, now's the time. I'm going to bin all these guys that are hugely experienced, have great followings, papers that are still selling, millions of copies a day combined, website hits that are tens of millions combined. You're just going to say, now nah, we're going to scrap all that. 
there, there was a way of doing it that was far more advantageous for the mainstream media, far more advantageous for fan media, and advantageous for the club. Um, and Rangers didn't didn't get that right. And I think if, if other clubs are going to move towards involving fan media alongside more traditional media, they should learn that, uh, learn from those mistakes. I think one of the the biggest mistakes Rangers made at the time when, when David uh, Graham was there was they <clears throat> they didn't grasp the importance of the media. And what I mean by that is, you might not want to agree with us on camera, but I'll just say it as a, as a fact or an opinion of mine, it's a, which I believe to be factual. But the role, the relationship between club and media, and I'm not just talking about Rangers here, generalising, is not all about what that paper writes. Equally, and sometimes arguably more important, could be what that paper doesn't write, which could be a bad story. Now, I'm not saying covering stuff up or anything like that. I'm just talking about stuff that the fans might like to know. Um, and I think you'd need to be pretty naive to believe that some relationships between clubs and media can help stories not get put out, mm -hmm. which hold the club in a bad light. So if your relationship with the mainstream media is good, it enables you to have those discussions. But the minute you shut the door to them, then what chance have you got of have that relationship can't influence the stories that aren't getting written before then or potentially don't get written later on? And although that might not be something fans are comfortable with because they think, oh, we want to know everything, that's a harsh reality. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and as soon as I seen this move to cutting off the media, I thought, I know what happens next. Because the guy who's got a column to write on a Monday or the guy that's got three stories to write for a Tuesday still has that column to write and still has that those stories to write. Mm -hmm. And if they've got nobody that they can trade information with in terms of, I tell you what, I've got this story. You want me to write that? No, I don't want you to write that. What can you give me to not write that? That's how it works. Whether you're happy enough to agree with that or no, I don't know, being a professional. So when that's taken away, that guy that's got the column to write, that guy that's got the three stories a day to write about Rangers, they've got to write something. Mm -hmm. And if they've got a wee bag with two or three bad stories that they could exchange for three or four good stories, if that option isn't there, then they need to write bad stories. And I've just seen it almost immediately. Even guys that are, what we would say, balanced reporters on Rangers, you could see there was a bit of an increase and the bad stuff, mm -hmm. even words used and paragraphs used. Is that, is, that a, is that a fair assumption of what happened or am I just crazy? No, I, th I think you've summed it up fairly, fairly well and quite succinctly there, Craig. I think the, the relationship was was damaged, um, even at a, a very, very basic level. The night we lost in Amsterdam to Ajax. So if for people that don't know, after, after a European game, um, Clubs are asked to do what's called a mix zone. So the players are meant to walk through a certain area of the stadium. So the, the manager will do his press conference in the press conference room and other guys will then go into the mix zone. So players walk through and we then speak to them about the game. So we can use it live that night. We can hold it for the following day, hold it for the following day. After the Ajax game, it's obviously it's not been a good night for the club, not been a good night for the team. We are standing in the mix zone. Time, time's marching on. Manager's done his, his post-match pressure. We need something for the travelling day to go home. We're getting them the next morning, getting on the plane. As you say, we've still got the same space to fill. Guys are looking for a back page. Desk are looking for a spread, maybe even two, depending on how the how the night's gone. And we're standing in the mix zone. See, see the players walking out of one end of the of the dressing room and told, 
walk around straight out on the bus and away. Don't stop, don't speak. So even guys who like stalwarts of the mix on, like Steve Davis, Scott Arfield, Tav, Connor Goldson, guys that you would you would bank on to stop, not to not just to um fill fill spaces, guys that would actually have a considered opinion, guys that are good to good to speak to, traipsing through and one one by one saying, sorry, head down, headphones in, pretending they're on the phone. And that that was self self defeating because we woke up the next morning before we went home and we still had that space to fill. So either you put a player up who says, "Hands up, sorry, I, I, I lost my man for the first goal. Shouldn't have capitulated like that. Won't happen again. We'll learn from it." That then gets the club's message out. That gets the team's message out. It might not be the whole truth, but it gives the fans something. If they don't do that, we slaughter them because it's then our opinion. It's then if we've no matter how, how we see in the game, it's then our opinion that goes in that, that day's paper during the uh, from the match report, and we then need to provide some form of analysis or opinion afterwards. If the club fill that void, it's their message. If they don't, we're more than capable of filling it ourselves, and we have to, and we will do. And that's just at a very, very basic level of being able to control messaging. Um, think back to the Australia debacle of uh, the Sydney Super Cup. It was evident that this was this was going to happen. The deal had been done. It was all in place. Went to the club um, night before. Guys were told, look, this, this will break overnight in Australia. This is going to happen. It's going to be announced. Went to the club. Do you have any comment? How do you want to, how do you want to steer it? How do you want to play it? We're willing to work with you here to, to try and get put across your, your point of view in a, in a certain way. Um, and messages came back saying, we're still finalising our plans for the winter break and, and for next summer. And that, and that was that. That was that chance gone. As soon as as soon as that that lie basically came back, that was that chance gone. So when news then breaks and it becomes evident the fans are not happy, we can then pile in because if if you're not going to play ball, why should we play ball with you? I think I said the club suffered a number of ways during during that time, not just on Australia, on SPFL, on on TV deals, on SPFL votes, on no matter what the issue was. Rangers had no avenue to get their point of view across. They had no way of building a consensus. They had no way of making friends and influence people. And that's something, they've, as you mentioned, they've lost that or they did, did lose that from a journalism perspective and point of view. Lost it from other clubs as well because they had this, well, we'll just stand in the corner. No one likes us, we don't care. That doesn't help you get things done. That doesn't help you form a consensus. That doesn't help you build relationships. That doesn't help you... Um, put put your point of view across, and whether it be media or whether it be um, other clubs, whether it be political bodies, that stance of we're just going to go and do our own thing. If nobody likes it, well, fine, you're a you're an enemy of the club. It was just it was just nonsense. And I say, thankfully, the the new regime or the and you guys that are there do do understand that. That's not to say they'll always pick up the phone and say, by the way, Chris, this is happening or that's happening or that's happening. But they're more more open to trying to do business properly. And again, that's not us simply putting out press releases and putting out exactly what they what they say. We still ask tough questions of them. We still pester them. We still go to them all the, all the time. I dare say they get annoyed every time their phone goes and it's myself or somebody else wanting to know what's happening with Graham Soonest, what's happening with director of football, what's happening with the manager, what's happening with our signing. That's, that's our job. I think they now understand that job and respect that job rather than case of, well, you're just annoying us. We're just not going to speak to you. Yeah, I think through that, <clears throat> excuse me, through that period, I was, it was obvious what, where my 
the opinions were with some of the things I put out on social media. Um, uh, I was quite vocal about people involved at the time. David Graham um, wrote some some blog type things about that, and um, because of that, I had people coming and talking to me about their experiences. And without getting into names, um, I had people contacting me from the press, pro professional journalists, telling me the way that situation ended up. So, you know, the contact would be made, look, I'm going to write this story tomorrow, I know what Rangers are trying to buy this guy, is there the club want to say? And getting told no. Uh, okay, I'm going to write this story tomorrow about the set of accounts that's just released. Do you want to clarify X, Y, and Z? No, we don't talk to the press. Uh, all, all that sort of stuff would go on. And then you would get a phone call, or the journalists would get phone calls from the club, the PR team in the club saying, any chance you can put this in the paper? Now, that to me, you know, that, that was so obvious mm -hmm. from the, the, the minute the club had this uh, strategy. I could see it. You're like, no. So see those good stories. Like maybe one of the best uh, things that Rangers do, which, which is always full of easy, good stories, is a charity foundation. Mm -hmm. I guess charity foundations are a fantastic thing. I could write a story once a week about Rangers charity if I was a journalist. So if Rangers Football Club want these things and, you know, like the Rangers Youth Development uh, Company, another great arm of, mm -hmm. of the club, they're not going to get the support and get these stuff that deserves columns and inches written about them and, 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 and clicks on Facebook if the door's shut. Mm -hmm. And I know factually because people did come and talk to me about up a lot of um, contacts uh, back in 2012 to 15 area with um, journalists. I still speak to them, yourself included, to this day, and it's not always about trying to get stories in the paper. Um, and when they seen what I was writing at the time uh, about the, the PR strategy, I was getting loads of phone calls saying, fair play to you, big, and you, you've seen it. And I'm like, it was just so obvious. But going back to the the, the sort of fan media versus uh, traditional media, mainstream media, as a consumer of media, I find it fascinating the, the differences in quality that both um, can put out. And people maybe think I'm going to suggest mainstream media that for is a very you know, um, far better quality than fan media. It's, it's actually not. It's, it's not the opposite either. When you look at fan media, and the majority of mine is Rangers because mm -hmm. I'm a Rangers fan. But when I started this podcast, I did start looking at a lot of other things to get ideas, to get, you know, what does good look like? How should I deliver things? So I've, I've, I've researched quite a lot of media output, you know, when I was starting this. And let's take the fan media first. The difference in quality between the best and the worst is massive. Mm. It is absolutely massive. There's someone that's just two guys in a bedroom and, you know, iPhone mic and shitty cameras and stuff. And they're still delivering information, but the way it's delivered is, is, is pretty poor. And, and that is what it is. It's, you know, just guys doing it for yeah. an enjoyment. And that's, that's fine. And then you get to the opposite end and you can see some actual proper quality delivered pieces, you know, well-written, uh, well-presented, uh, well-researched, very presentable product getting mm -hmm. put in a fan. So the, 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 the gap between the best and the worst in fan media is, is very, very big. But then if you look at traditional media, I, I don't know if you'll agree or you maybe don't want to agree, but I see the same gulf in traditional media. There's some product getting put out there by traditional media that is so substandard, if you weren't educated enough in who you were taught, looking at and watching, you would think it was just a fan media guy and somebody sitting with an iPhone. 
but then there are some very obviously professionally produced um, stuff going out by the mainstream media. Is that a fair assessment? Do you think, or am I being blighted here? No, I think it is fair. Um, as I think the um, some of the Rangers fan media guys um, do do a lot of really good work. They put a lot of time. I've um, invested a lot of money in it as well, and they're they're getting the rewards from that. I think we've seen a number of other podcasts and our blogs and stuff start up. Not everyone who starts one is going to get the stage of sitting in front of the manager on a Friday or getting to go to a game or doing European away trips. The guys that are doing that have put a lot of time and money in, into it to get to, to get to that level. And it's not a case of, well, I've, it's not as easy as, well, I've got a blog, I'm going to email the Rangers PR department and say, can I come to the press conference on Friday? It's it's not going to happen. These relationships and that, that standing has been built built over a, over a long, long time. And the people that are at that level are, are very good at it. Um, I say I listen to a lot of it myself, read a lot of it myself because it's handy to it's handy to know. Um, it's good to know what the what their views are. It's good to know what uh, what the fans are thinking. But also because a lot of it is it's insightful, it's informative, and it is just enjoyable to actually to actually consume as a as a news consumer. In terms of the paper guys or the uh, digital guys, I think a lot of it's driven by um, cost um, implication in terms of num- a number of staff. There's guys that have got targets to hit in terms of in terms of hits. So if you know that former player X says this on Twitter, if you know that's going to get twenty five thousand hits and you've got a hits target to to try and match, well, you'll do it. I don't think anybody who is doing that type of work, no, nobody. So I, I think back to myself when I was going through my degree and doing the work experience. That's not the type of stuff I ever ever wanted to be doing. No, I don't think anybody enter, enters industry saying. I want to spend 12 hours a day ripping things from Instagram, Twitter, TikTok and ripping off other people's websites just to try and hit a, try and hit a target just to keep myself in the job. I don't think that's the that's not the dream. It certainly wasn't mine um, and thankfully it's not my reality because um, that's not how, how we are judged and that's not the type of work I'm, I'm asked to do at the, at the review, thankfully. But we've seen as um, financial implications on, on deaths, as, as numbers are cut, Pressure goes up as uh, as the, the drive towards, I say, some organisations having targets for hits to drive advertising revenue. That's they're then going down that particular path, and the journalists have no option but to either either do it or you go and find employment elsewhere. As as I said earlier on, if you don't do it, somebody else will, and if they don't do it, there's five behind them that will, because everybody wants to everybody wants to get involved, everybody wants to um, to to have that crack at the at the media, and everybody wants to have that crack at the career. So, I think it's it's difficult because, as as we've seen, certainly when I first started in the Herald, there's maybe a dozen, fourteen dedicated football writers on the on the desk. Eighteen months ago, there was only three of us. Um, so that that obviously leads to a, a reduction in what we can do. Herald sports section at times was maybe twenty pages. There's sometimes now it's twelve pages. So going from four football spreads down to Two football spreads, but the time you then take in your rugby and your athletics and stuff at the, at the back of it as well. So people get out of the media what they put into it. The more media they consume, the more money they put into the industry. The more people that can then be hired, the better the product becomes. And it's easy to say the other press is worse and the, the output is worse. It is to an extent in some regards. In some regards, it's a lot better. It's a lot more professional. It's a lot more polished. But you only get out of it what you put in if if news consumers don't invest in media organisations, ultimately media organisations can't invest in proper journalists and proper equipment and and doing 
and doing um, the type, types of stories that they want to do. Um, so I think the, the industry has has changed a lot. But the, the number of people that are involved in putting a newspaper out or putting a, a website out or even covering a press conference, mentioned earlier on, going back and doing the Walter Pressers, there's times we would send three, four people up to Hawking Howie to do a press conference. From the one paper. From, from the one paper. So somebody would go from the Herald and do manager and player. Somebody would go from the Even Times, one person would do the manager, one person would do the player, and you then have a Sunday guy going up as well. So from our office, we'd all jump in a car, four of us would drive to the trading ground, spend an hour and a half there interviewing the manager and a couple of players, and then go back and write it. Just doesn't happen now. Now you can have one guy doing it for our website on, on the review, potentially doing it for, for the Herald website, that then goes in the Herald paper. Now that, that has changed um, a wee bit, um, but that, that has been the case over over recent times where the, the numbers of, of journalists actually working on certain beats, working on stories, it has reduced. Um, and I, I say the our, our desk or, or the Herald desk is vastly, vastly reduced in terms of when I started out. So that's clearly going to have an impact on the on the product. Um, again, as I said earlier on, that's not a slight on the guys that are doing the job. The guys that are doing the job are still as professional and as hardworking and as ever they're putting, having to put more into it now than guys from 10 years ago. Because if if you are, if you were on, on that desk 10 years ago and you didn't come up with a back page story, there's a chance that the guy sitting next to us will have a back page or the guy sitting over there will have a back page. And then as, as that evolved and the numbers then reduced, it was a case of, well, you need to come up with a back page because if you don't, there's not one. If there's not one, that's then a that's then a problem. Um, so it's I say again, it's no slight on the on the guys that are, that are doing the job because they're putting so much into it to try and put out the best product possible. Um, and it's I think it, it becomes easy for people to then have a kick at, at that product. You, you you touched on it earlier, and it seemed to be a, a driver for you, an inspiration for you to become a journalist. Was that ambition of having the newspaper drop through your door? Mm-hmm. It opens up the back page, and it's we photo you, Chris, and you've got the headline in the back page. Unfortunately, the way things have transpired and the, the, um, the way the media has went, that's probably not going to be a driver for the next generation. But, um, I mean, I, I'm a dinosaur in a lot of respects. I'm older than you and um, I'm probably older than most of the people are going to be watching this. But I kind of miss that. And um, if that's not, I mean, papers could not survive on paper spend now, just people going out and buying a, a newspaper. People still do it, but nowhere near the numbers they did back in the 80s and 90s and, and, and previously. So newspapers have had to evolve or they just wouldn't have businesses. But I just think there will be casualties, obviously, as things evolve, because as we've already discussed, if the, the non-professional outlets and the professional, traditional outlets, a lot of these new outlets are professional. You mentioned... Um, so one with the three initials that I can't remember. Let's say PSG, but it's not. Uh, PLZ. PLZ. That is a professional body. It's a mm-hmm. non-traditional news outlet, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that will increase as well through time. There'll be news organisations that will start that have never printed a paper in their life. So is that a concern that the traditional newspapers then will survive going forward? I've had this conversation almost since almost since day one. Um, a number of people that have said to me, oh, newspapers won't be here in 10 years. Mm. Well, that conversation was had more than 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's no sign of papers closing, thankfully. Now, that's not to say that journalists haven't, unfortunately, been made redundant. There's cutbacks all the time. There's cutbacks ongoing all the time. 
we've we've lived through that in, in our place almost since the first year that I've been in there. Um, but Herald is now in its 240th year. Um, it's 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 had to evolve. It's had to change the way that it, it does business. It's had to change the way that it attracts advertisers. Had to change the way it attracts readers. And I think any whether it be any website, any podcast, any newspaper, anyone that doesn't evolve and change with the times, you will be left behind because the pace of progress now, it's nothing like we've ever seen. The, the way that the media is evolving, the way that things are things are going, the, the pace of news is ramping up all the time. And if, if you don't jump on that train, you will be left at the station. And if you're left there for too long, unfortunately, you will, um, you will feel the consequences of that. So I think that I've seen a we have seen a change in how media is consumed. We've seen a big change in how media is is produced. But I think people who still want to produce media and people who still want to put a paper out or put a website out, they're still putting so much I say, time and money and effort into it. And we can only hope that the the general public, the people that are buying the that are buying the paper, or people that are subscribing to a website, can only hope that they actually appreciate and understand what's actually um, what's actually going into it. Now, that's not to say that over, over the coming 10, 20, 30 years, there will be casualties, unfortunately, because that, that that's just a numbers game. Um, I've seen the, we've all seen the year-on-year decreases in paper sales. We've all, we've all seen the, the cost of living crisis. We know that people are going, are going to cut back on things. We know that newspapers are, are a commodity that people will cut back on. We know that website subscriptions may be something that people will cut back on. And all we can do as the professionals actually within the industry is try and put as big a sale on it as possible and say, look, if you are cutting back on areas, this is the one thing we don't want to cut back on because from our perspective, we think we're providing you the best range of, of range of coverage possible. We're giving you your, your breaking news, giving you exclusive news, we're giving you your, your comment, we're giving you your insight, giving you your match coverage, we're giving you your social media coverage. And if people think that's worth paying for, great, because the more people that pay for it, the more we can do, the more people that buy a paper, the more journalists that can can be hired, the more journalists that can be hired, the higher the quality of the product. So it almost comes down to what do news consumers want? If they if they don't want a, a thriving Scottish media scene and they don't invest in it, then that's what they'll get. If they do want a thriving Scottish media scene or a thriving football uh, scene and they invest in it, it, it will then go from strength to strength. The, the two things have to go hand in hand. It's not a case of papers will just continually invest in a paper or websites will continually invest in a website. That's not going to make any money. Everybody has to make money at the end of the day. Um, but if people don't invest in that themselves, then I say that the, the quality of the product will go down. Um, and I say it's not through a lack of effort. It's not through a lack of, of innovation. It's not through a lack of um, trying through if the people that are involved in these things. But the two things have to go hand in hand and ultimately the Scottish public will get the Scottish media that they want and deserve by whatever they put into it. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.